This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. topic of the show tonight was that the soul's reality is is not quite the same thing as the ego's reality that the that the two experiences are different and and so from the soul's perspective you know we're whole and we're enough and from the ego's perspective you know we have concerns and worries and uh, I like the Eric Fromm quote that we're the only species on the planet that comes into existence uh, without any problem, but we seem to come up with one, and it's because the ego is dissatisfied and doesn't feel worthy or normal in some respect. Um, so tonight, I just wanted to kind of talk about the difference between the soul's perspective and the soul's experience versus the ego's experience, and in fact, if the soul actually has an experience. That is a, a really good question, and that is kind of where my mind was taking me when I when I read the opening for tonight. And what I kind of came up with is the soul doesn't think, but it does experience. And the mind gives it meaning and the ego makes that experience personal. Hmm. To me, it's like these, these different um, levels of awareness, I guess. But is it an experience or just beingness? Yeah. What's so hard about spiritual work when you when you look at the definitions for these these ideas or these concepts like like soul, for example, or even spirit, they tend to be merged uh, is to be one and the same. And we and dependent upon the belief that you you know that you have, um, some some people believe that the soul is um, comes in with preconceived or preordained or predetermined kind of traits and qualities that are played out in this existence. Some people believe that they come in uh, with karma uh, and have to rid themselves of it in some way. Um, mm-hmm. From 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 the soul's intent perspective, if you look at that, that energy force as being the same thing that animates all life, then you you don't give it all those you know, personal characteristics. It's just life. When you think about the soul as an expression, or if the soul has an experience, that it is, it is, it is that um, idea that it's not conscious, but we are. So, in other words, the the soul experiences whatever we experience, um, but it is unconscious. It can't qualify or sequence or uh, categorize or make order or sense of the experience. We do that. And, and of course, the contaminating factor in, in that subjective analysis is the ego. Um, because it's the ego that tends to analyze and critique the whole thing. What I want the listeners to kind of get when I talk about the soul's experience versus the ego's experience, I'm really talking about perspective, vantage point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The soul's perspective is uh, remote and above and 
neutral as it looks at our life and sees the whole of our life, where the ego is right in the middle of our lives and uh, and is having a uh, emotional reaction uh, in many cases to the experience of this existence, where the soul was just observing and is responding to the heart, I think. I think if there's any experiential component is is that the when the heart is online is the is the true compass, then the soul and its animation is brighter, is more there's more oxygen coming to the soul. It is more um uh, congruent uh because the compass is activated and our true north is clear. Uh when the heart is offline then then my sense is that the soul is dimmer, that that energy field it is the soul isn't isn't as congruent. There's a sense of detachment between our inner lives and and our and our outside world, and vice versa. I, I was uh, again looking at the opening paragraph, and um, you can see that in one reality you are free to love and exude authenticity. And when I read that, I thought, well, what what love? Because you know our um, ego and our human experience defines love in so many different ways and um, to me then I came up with well it would be what I would call real love um, which needs to come from the heart and soul when when Mm -hmm. I said in the opening paragraph that you're free to love I really mean that you're free from any kind of anchor or tether as to what love is uh, mm-hmm. It isn't a conditional thing, and in fact, it's unconditional. Uh, love in the context or perception of the soul is is simply just the absence of fear. There is no fear in in this unconditional place of love, truth, and freedom. But in the place of the ego, in the ego's experience, there is fear, and there is anxiety, and all those things. And so that's that's part of the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you um, expand a little bit on what you mean by unconditional? Just what it implies is, is that there are no rules, there are no right or wrong way to be in the, uh, from mm-hmm. the soul's perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Just be what you were intended to be uh, and be uh, who and what and when and where and why you were intended to be. So in other words, those those qualities, those those attributes of what it means to be here are kind of all fall in those domains of who, what, when, where, and why. Um, and so the soul only you know wants to be what it was intended to be, which is a incarnate, animated force that is then allowed to express through the filter that is this body and this experience. Uh, through our senses and through our, our our capacity to feel, touch, smell, all those things. That's what the soul wants to do. I think of the heart is the in, in the same way that I think of the human spirit. It's the physical manifestation of the soul's existence. The human spirit is the is a physical memory of the soul's birth and the separation from that birth, uh, where the heart is a physical organ that is activated by life itself. In other words, it doesn't have an extension cord attached to it. It isn't mm-hmm. tied to a battery, but yet it beats and pumps <laughs> blood. So uh, how's it doing that? <laughs> you see, that is the, 
And so and so I, I said today in an email to you that if you went above the planet and you looked down at the specks of light that are human beings, it would be their heart that would be the beacon mm-hmm. and the soul mm-hmm. would be the surrounding field of that beacon that is the heart. So uh so and so therefore you could locate the the soul by the beacon of the heart. Wherever the heart mm-hmm. resides is where the soul ends up or where the soul resides. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and so so in that regard that's that's kind of the way I see that. But um the the problem with the discussion of soul, spirit, heart, ego, all these different kind of dynamics is is that that you can go find a different belief system that says it a different way and frames it a different way mm-hmm. and it's tied to tied to doctrine and tied to all kinds of other stuff. And what I'm trying to do is simplify it just strictly from the perspective of the human condition. Let's say you don't belong to any of these belief systems and you don't buy into the doctrine and you don't you're not attending the synagogues or the churches and you're just a human being trying to sort out why, what, where, when and who you are in relationship to this experience. And so that's the the angle of which I'm speaking about these things. What about the um what I wrote about the ego and its concern with worth and concern with affirmation and in some respects its concern for salvation? Well, what that brought up for me is um, the importance we place on on self-esteem and and what is self-esteem exactly because um, in in our Western world, self-esteem would be tied to our worthiness and uh, if if we are fitting in as as normal and uh, how much we think we deserve, all of that seems to be in our Western world, connected to self-esteem, and then self-esteem brought me into being self-conscious, and and what does it mean to be self-conscious, and can we be too self-conscious? Mm-hmm. So then you would agree then that that for a lot of us, our self-perception and self-concept dictates our life experience more so than our soul's perspective. Uh, and isn't that ironic? I mean, we don't. And, and this is a, a a distinction that I'm making with the soul's intent is is that I'm I'm wanting people to give station to their inner lives, to give station to the idea that their soul is real, intelligent, never off, never away, always available, guiding, intentional, determined, persistent, <laughs> all those things. And you have a choice between identifying with that intelligence or the distortion of the ego, which is conditioned and programmed and tethered. We don't think of ourselves as having soul experiences. We think of ourselves as having life experiences that are perceived through the the, the lens of the ego. Yeah, yeah. And still... Still, and and I'm going to be pondering on this for a while, I think, does the soul have experiences or does it only get interpreted? Um, Because, I I mean, to me, what what fits best in, in trying to define the soul is an energy field and our connection to... It's it's our energy field of life, which is connected to all all of life. 
Mm-hmm. And and to me that 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 fits the best when I try and find a way to to define the soul. Um, but then when I ask myself, and I'm going to ponder on this for a while, does the soul have experiences? I think the soul just is, and it gets interpreted um, like the the midway, the middle would be the heart and the mind, and then the the ego. So it's like the heart and mind kind of um, interpret the the energy of the of the soul Mm, yeah i think of the soul is getting imprinted i think you can imprint uh and leave an indentation on the soul and i say that because of my experience with pain and adversity Mm. and with Mm. treating other people and their experience of pain and adversity that there is an imprint um almost like a, a bruise would leave on the body that that over time would uh you know would disappear i think there is an imprint on the surface of the soul that is there dependent upon the volatility of the of the of the of the indentation so in other words how harsh of an experience it was how long it was and um i think it is filed away in memory um and it may it can be um in the body more so than in the mind, I think, or in the brain. Mm-hmm. I should probably say it that way. So, so I think of, so I think the soul does experience that. I think it does experience these imprints or these indentations, because the ego is that severe and it's um, or that sharp uh, against the surface of the soul. And it's that heavy, it's that encumbering, it carries that kind of weight. Um, and so and so the soul in this context is water. You know, when I think of the surface mm. of the soul, I think of it as being water. And again, because we're, you know, when we're born, we're 99% water, and as adults, we're 75% water. So, so we are mostly water. <laughs> so so and the significance of that is that water conducts electricity, in this case electromagnetic field that is the soul. So the conduction of that field is impacted um uh, like rings of a tree, uh mm-hmm. which are knocked out of uh out of sync or out of um what's the word I'm looking for? Uh they're not symmetrical. The rings may be off off of the symmetry of the other rings of the tree. Well, I think the soul responds the same way. I think that imprint is there and uh, the, almost like taking an instrument that's in tune and knocking it out of tune. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I think the soul can be knocked out of tune. Um, mm-hmm. And it's in this body, in this container that we are. Just like in a a tree, the tree works around the wound. It works around the imprint. It works around the experience and survives it in some way. But it does leave an indentation in the trunk of the tree. There is a, a deformity of some sort in that particular ring of the tree. I think the soul operates the same way. I can sense that that, that would be real and, and true. So then I, I wonder, because of that imprint, whatever the the trauma 
um, might have been to to cause that bruise to the soul, would that then prevent the person from becoming the soul becoming fully incarnated in physical form? Yeah, well, it doesn't it doesn't prevent the the, the full incarnation because that's happening as we speak. It, it prevents mm-hmm. the person from experiencing the incarnation. And so mm. the way the way the person would experience that or the way the ego would experience that kind of a of a wound to the soul would be self-loathing, self-hatred. It would be a wound to the worth of the individual and to the idea of whether or not they're love worthy, whether they're deserving. So I think I think shame has that impact on the soul more so than guilt. If you were going to look at the two um ways that we get divided, both being guilt and shame, the one that has the, the, the deepest and more severe indentation or imprint on the soul would be shame. Guilt is is there, but it's not quite as severe. It's more of a bruise to the ego, where the shame is is, is a bruise to the soul of the individual. So it's it's a it's a it does harm to the field of energy that they are because it's deeper and lasting and and it's typically done by uh, by the creator. You know, one of the things we're doing with these shows is we're kind of dissecting layers and layers of consciousness about um, the soul's intent and its relationship to ego, spirit, and heart. Um, but tonight's show specifically was about does the soul experience life, and if it does, how's it different than what the ego experiences in? What we're implying tonight and what we're suggesting is if the soul experiences life from a free, loving, and truthful place outside of conditioning and outside of um, of any society or collective uh, imprint, so to speak, where the ego is experiencing life based upon what it's supposed to do, should do, could do, might do, all those, all those conditional kinds of things. Um, and so the trick in spiritual work then is how do you get these two to work together? And of course mm-hmm. what I what I teach is is that the ego has to awaken to the present. Because the soul, if given station, is always present. It's always in in real time. It's not operating out of the past, it isn't projected into the future, where the ego is caught in a time loop in most cases. It's uh it's it's dragging fear from the past and, and, and issues of self-esteem and self-worth uh, into the present and worries about the future. So as a result of that, mm-hmm. it can't really be in this present moment. But the soul's intent is that we get here, that we don't get here when we're born, that arrival is a choice. But the soul really is already here. It's already – as soon as that burst of light happens and a soul is born – and mm-hmm. and it, and it begins to inhabit this body. It's it's fully here. We're the ones that aren't here, <laughs> and we're only here for a brief moment before we get taken away from ourselves. And I think that's the whole premise, the whole core of what I'm is what I'm trying to teach people uh, is that yeah. we come into the world really uh, in a present tense kind of way, connected to ourselves in an authentic way, connected to the source in a real true way, which is life. When I say source, I mean life. If you want to call that God or universe, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's still big, (laughs) something larger than ourselves. 
and we're connected with it for you know two or three years, and then we lose it because we get busy adapting and surviving this experience. And so, I'm saying that we are spiritual beings having a psychological experience. And if you had a choice, would you prefer to be a psychological being longing for a spiritual understanding, or a spiritual being who is trying to make sense of their psychological existence? And of course, the latter makes makes more sense. And the latter is what I'm teaching. This is that we are spiritual, kind of trapped in a psychological loop of how we're supposed to be. And it's being kind of hammered to us through the culture and through the system that we grow up in. I was just going to say that it is hard to to talk about these things in, in isolation because because when we talk about the soul in isolation and the spirit in isolation and the heart and the ego, uh, it, but I'm doing that so that the listeners will understand that there's really – they're not operating in isolation. They are operating as a symbiotic kind of uh, of entity or or kind of attribute. Uh, symbiotic meaning working towards the same goal. All four of those those organs of perception are working toward towards the same end, which is for us to get here and be fully in this experience and to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Or maybe the truest version, rather than best. Best is a is an ego evaluation. So the truest version of ourself that we can be. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I I think that's the biggest um, one. I mean, there's so many important aspects to your teaching, but that just that one thing that um, the the ego, the soul, the, the heart, and the spirit are all working together towards the same goal but i think what happens is for whatever reason in in what you're uh what you experience in life you get out of alignment with those things so they aren't working together the soul spirit ego and heart they aren't in alignment working towards um, going in the same direction. So the more we can become aligned in those, the more energy we have, the more life we have, the more alive we are. Yes, yes. And and it yeah yeah it seems like that's what happens to us as human beings is we get out of alignment and well, we need to go in for we need to go in for a, a soul a soul lineup a soul attunement. <laughs> yeah, and and if there's and if I want. If, if and I don't know who's listening to my shows, um, but I, I'm going to assume that it's a broad range of folks. So I want to say people that are between the ages of 15 and 35 that may hear this show, that I want you to hear that um, it wasn't always this way. We weren't always mm-hmm. this incongruent. We weren't always this mm-hmm. disconnected from ourselves. This is a relatively wow. new new experience, and it's happened in the past 25 or 30 years that we have gotten into a shame-based, uh, wounded kind of um, place with how we uh, we interact with one another and how we interact and relate with ourselves. Uh, so people that are between the ages of 15 and 35, this is all you've ever known, which is a shame-based culture. Um People that are from our generation, the baby boomers, and, the, and maybe a generation behind that, uh, we grew up at a time when guilt was a dominating force, and the compensation for that in the culture was religiosity and morality. 
So what's happened is, is that we've we've made a shift in the past 30 or 40 years that has moved us away from um, a path that we were on, and it was an incomplete path, but at least it was interdirected. <laughs> now the path is outer-directed and more external, and uh, as a result of that, we're off the path. And by mm. off the path, I mean the path of of uh, human human development, human evolution, if you will. We're not growing uh, at the pace we were. We've slowed down. We've stalled out. Um, and so I, I especially want young people to hear this because uh, they, they don't know uh, that this inner life is not only possible, that it's incredibly crucial for us to move forward as people. Yeah, gosh, Ernie, that is such an important thing to say. And yeah, I mean, we somehow really dropped the ball and didn't pass that baton on. And you are you are so right in, um, yeah, that uh, younger people, um, they they don't know. They don't know. And, and what a shift in, in our society. Because if you want to put that in context, it's like talking about eight-track tapes and cassette tapes when we're using MP3 players and and DVDs <laughs> and CDs, and that's really what we're talking about. It's it's it really is almost a technology, but in this case, it's an internal technology. We were on a path towards the value of insight, mm. which then would lead us to the value of foresight, and as a result of that insightful approach, we went to the moon, we went to Mars, we invented incredible things because we were interdirected. And so we've gotten we've we've gotten more outer directed in the past twenty five or thirty years and more externally controlled. And so the compensation unfortunately for that is narcissism, which is an exaggerated sense of self that's built on a on a fake foundation. So mm -hmm. um so we, we still had self-esteem and self-worth issues in our generation and the generation before us, but we had a, a, a connection to our compass, and the compass was the human heart. Today, in the past 25 or 30 years, the compass is the ego, and so this is a problem. So when I talk about the show tonight, the soul's experience versus the ego's experience, I can change the language and say – What's the difference between an internal existence and an internal perspective of this life that we are in versus the external perspective of it? Because that's really what I'm asking. And is your internal sense of your life uh, contaminated? Is it incongruent with what you wish for and hope for as a person? Um, is, is your internal idea of yourself harsh? judgmental, self-loathing, uh, those kinds of things. And, 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 and if the answer to that is yes, then you're, then you're proving my point, that you don't have a connection to a compass that's compassionate, that's forgiving, that's allowing, which of course would be the heart. What would be some of the things that a, a young person could do to um, start moving towards an, an inner connection? The first answer to that, I guess, or the short answer, is um, that 
um, you hear that you have this internal GPS, the capacity to know what's true and what's false based upon your heart's perspective, based upon your gut intuitive feeling of things uh, versus an emotional egoic reaction to things that you just start uh, taking time to practice introspection, self-reflection, stand in front of somebody that you trust, somebody that you believe in, Mm. somebody that you think is a Mm -hmm. decent mirror and have discussions about these things. This is not something you're going to do in the privacy of your own head by yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need relationships as human beings so we can reflect because we can't Mm -hmm. see our own reflection. So we just got to be careful about who we use as mirrors. But um, there isn't a short answer to that, Irma. There isn't a short answer about what they can do. It's not like three easy steps. It, it, right. It, I, th- I think the answer, the short answer is, uh, I'm going to rephrase the problem, is is that, that um, a lot of people are growing up and making up that the world is flat and it's two-dimensional. And they have, due to, and they have a two-dimensional perspective about themselves and the world they live in. Well, the world is round. It's not flat. And the universe doesn't revolve around them. It's bigger than that. Um, and so the first shift is seeing life as it is and the human experience as it is instead of what you're being sold through the television, what you're being told through social media. Mm. Uh, but you get a sense of it from your own experience uh, and value mm-hmm. that experience. Give station to your own subjective uh, feelings about things because those are valid. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Something I jotted down in in, in kind of uh, an answer to my own own question is to exactly what you were saying. Start to trust your heart rather than a bill of goods that you've been sold. That's what a young person. Can well, we do. we couldn't have a better example right now than what just happened with this election. That you cannot believe everything you read and you cannot believe everything mm-hmm. you hear. And, uh, on the television mm-hmm. or in social media. So what can you believe? Mm-hmm. What can you trust? Right. Where is yeah. integrity in your universe, mm-hmm. in your world? And and I will tell you that mm-hmm. the only place you can find it first is in yourself. And if you don't know what it looks like mm-hmm. in yourself, then this is part of the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what it would sound like, what it would feel like, what the voices in your head would be saying, uh, what the sensation of integrity would be. Uh, these are the things that you need experience with. Mm-hmm. And for the boomers and older, uh, what I want them to hear in, in tonight's show is, is that spirituality is not victimization. And that somehow uh, in dropping the baton and not passing it on to the younger generation, uh, the importance of having an inner directed life, uh, we've gotten so outer-directed and external in our own existence that we have gotten off of our of our own individual truth as well, and and that is that we uh, have somehow spun into this idea that being a victim is um, part of suffering, <laughs> or that they're the mm. same animal. Uh, and and you and I are are, are figuring this out as we dialogue about spirituality and what's happening in the media with spirituality and what's being taught, we are being taught Mm -hmm. that human suffering is somehow being extrapolated into meaning human victimization, and we don't have to, and so therefore we're saying 
we meaning teachers are saying human beings don't have to suffer. Well, I, of course, do not agree with that. We have to suffer because the human spirit gets cut away from the source and it feels that disconnect and it wants to go back to it. That suffering mm-hmm. is the motivation for us to breathe. <laughs> that suffering is valuable. It moves us along in our own evolution and growth. Victimization mm. is not the same animal. So I'm saying in in my teachings is that you have the initial faded break where we are cut away from the creator, cut away from the source, a source that we had a relationship with for almost three years. We didn't have a context for it, a language to frame it, but yet we have a precognitive memory of it, which means it's stored in our body and it's stored in the heart. And then we get busy surviving our lives and spend our whole lives trying to get back to it. Well, in that process, the baby boomers and a couple generations before that have somehow spun away from why do human beings suffer to human beings are victims And that is suffering and that they don't have to if they do ABC. And uh, gosh, oh, so, so major, which is, I mean, which isn't spiritual, which isn't spiritual. It's quite psychological. So, so what's, Uh so what's happened is we've in the spiritual movement, uh, we're talking about psychological solutions to spiritual problems instead of spiritual solutions to psychological problems. We've got it backwards. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I was going to say two two words that you usually don't hear together are um suffering and valuable. Valuable suffering. Mm-hmm. Um is, is something I just useful suffering. Yeah, yeah, useful. Yeah, gosh. We have to use um metaphor to talk about these things because it's hard to put into words. But if you think of how beautiful animals are, uh lions uh, horses anything that you think of that is uh, that is beautiful in nature mm-hmm. imagine the spirit of those animals uh and what we think the spirit of that animal is it is there it is how majestic they are or how um mm. powerful they appear or how beautiful they look um now imagine that same animal being broken mm-hmm. and how that would look and the animal would lose all of those qualities. Uh, and this isn't. And these animals don't have personalities; they have spirits. Yeah, we define. We define. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we define animals not by their personalities. We define. We define them by their spirit, whatever their spirit is. They tend to have words that sound like personality traits, but really they're spiritual traits. And um, and so now imagine those same animals broken. And you can see what a deformity that would be in nature, and you can also see what would happen to them in nature. They would be, they would be attacked by their own kind, in fact, uh, because they'd be vulnerable and weak, and not themselves. <laughs> uh, well, this is what happens to us. Ah, uh, oh my goodness, what a good metaphor! Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah, oh this my is gosh. exactly what yeah. happens to us when our spirit gets broken, and it gets broken for psychological reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we don't have any memory of the fact of that. We don't have any 
any precognitive context for the beautiful spiritual animal that we were before because it happened so young. And we get busy developing ego and personality so early and defense mechanisms and, and, and adaptations so early that we don't really get to see the beauty of who we are. Don't have to, we don't have a sense of it until somebody points it out to us. You know, we may grow into it at some level and see it, but we don't see it in its fullness. We see it as incomplete. And uh, and so, yeah, that's what and so that's what I'm trying to say is, is that, that when you frame it that way, would you rather be a spiritual being having psychological experiences that can be can be fixed because of a spiritual solution? Or would you rather be a psychological being longing for spiritual experiences of which there is no solution? Except for just psychological restructuring, which is typically what we do, is we we restructure the psychology of uh, of how we think is, is is how we feel. This is what cognitive behavioral therapy is. This is what uh, aversion therapies are. This is what personality uh, change is in terms of psychotherapies. I mean, we're we're doing all these wonderful scientific and methodical ways to buff and polish, restructure, reframe tear down, build back up the human ego when we are so much more than the ego. And um, Gosh, you know, you know what that makes me think of? I mean, because I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm, I'm taking in everything you're saying and I'm imagining myself, I'm imagining people I, I love and what would I be like? What would other people I love be like if if um, their spirit had been nurtured and free to be. And um, what came up for me is um, Scott Peck, the, you know, two paths Mm -hmm. emerged in the woods Mm -hmm. and I took the one less traveled because the, the road that most of us travel are, is the road of a dampened, maybe not a completely broken spirit, but a dampened spirit. Spirit, and that's well, just not well, okay. well, we have an animal. We have an since we're, since we're staying in the concept of animals, we have an animal for mm-hmm. this for this this character that you just described in Western thought. You know what the animal is? Uh, well, uh, one that comes to mind is a horse. No, in Western thought, this in is Western an animal. This is an animal that's very specific to Western culture. You just. Stay in the analogy that you just said about Scott Peck. You cut the you you have two paths: the path that's been cut for you, or the path that you cut yourself. And when you mm-hmm. and, and that's Joseph Campbell's idea of the of the uh, of the of the hero's journey, that if you take right. the if you take the path that you cut for yourself, then you're typically called crazy in the culture. And, and then if you happen to pop <laughs> out the other side, you're called a hero. But in the beginning, you're called nuts. <laughs> True. Yeah. But what yeah. do you call what? Mm-hmm. What's the animal that takes the path that's already been cut? Huh? I don't know. Sheep. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that's right. Sheep. Oh my goodness! That's yeah. right. And mm. why sheep? Because of Christianity and Western thought. And a sheep needs a shepherd, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, and so, this is and again, this is the the victimization thing that we are lost 
Mm. If we're on the wrong path, oh we're lost. God. We're lost, and mm. we don't have and we don't have a shepherd, <laughs> even. Um, so yeah, I mean, so you can see that the psychology of it is just really a, a dilemma, and it's really um, a very unique experience. This business of ego versus soul. And so I could change the show tonight from soul to spirit because when I talk about the soul, I'm talking about the energy field that is your animating force. The spirit is your feeling reaction to this existence that happens as soon as you cut the umbilical cord and and uh, doesn't really get um, kind of filed away as a, as a problem until the onset of language. So in other words, you don't know you're separate from anything or anybody except for source for those first two years of life. And then when you get language, you begin to get the sense of separation from others as well. And so remember, we talked a few weeks ago about the difference between a psychological and spiritual wound. A spiritual wound is an event that happens outside of time uh, that in, involves a separation between you and God or you and the source. Uh, where a psychological wound is an event that happens inside of time and is a division between yourself and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so, love that definition. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah, and it is a huge thing to get and a huge thing to understand. And so, and so, what's happened? Um, I said earlier that to to the young people that are listening that this is a relatively new development that we haven't always been divided against ourselves with self-loathing and self-hatred at the level that we are now, that we we were divided with self-blame and self-punishment, which was more about there was a right and a wrong way to be. But we were working towards acceptance versus prejudice. We were working towards inclusion versus exclusion. You know, we were we were working towards becoming whole as individuals and as people. Well, now that shame is the dominating force in the culture, and shame has been around for uh, has been catching momentum in the past 25 or 30 years. Now we're detached and and we're divided against the culture, which means we're divided against each other. Mm-hmm. And looking for something or someone to save us from this dilemma that we are in. And of course, the the solution is a spiritual one, not a political one. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And The Soul's Intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom, and how in an instant learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.